It's nice to see you all in this form that we have, seeing all the tiles with your faces, scanning through and greeting greeting you. It's really a privilege to be able to sit with you and to share share the Dharma. I think we're all in the in the teacher um, community. We're all appreciating the retreat. We meet each evening, and it's a it's a it's a lovely time for us as a community, as a teaching community, to check in and. Um, we really, um, it's, it's a, it's been a lovely retreat. So I'm appreciative of your practice and your commitment, your dedication to doing this. You know, this is not easy. You all know that's not it, that it's not easy. We sit and we feel all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes we find a concentration, we find some ease and some peace. And and then the next sitting is completely different. Sometimes there's some stability of mind, more presence of mind. Sometimes the mind is wandering all over the place. And this, uh, this is actually what I'd like to uh, reflect with you tonight, or this afternoon, whatever it is for you, reflect with you today, about exploring curiosity about this phenomenon of the wandering mind. The other day, Dawn said that um, things that seem like obstacles that are in the way can be a gateway to learning, to understanding, and to freedom. That includes all of our hindrances, our reactivity, we also often, I think, think of the wandering mind as being a, an obstacle. I mean, after all, what is the wandering mind but a loss of mindfulness? And uh, that feels like an obstacle when mindfulness isn't here. But we can really get curious about this phenomenon of the wandering mind. The other day, somebody asked a question, something along the lines of, you know, why does the mind do this? And um, it's a great question. There's not one answer. And I would say that this talk that I'm going to offer is um, my own personal exploration of this question. It's a great question to let motivate you. Why does the mind wander? Check it out. 
see if you can learn something rather than having a, a kind of a contentious relationship with the wandering mind. Oh, the mind's been wandering. Or the mind feels like it's getting pulled to wandering, just exploring it. What is the wandering mind? You know, we, um, we use that phrase a lot, but there's different class, different flavors, I'd say, different flavors of the wandering mind. It sometimes just feels like the mind kind of just loses touch with the present moment and just wanders out of the present moment. Maybe that's the reason why we call it wandering. It just kind of drifts, feel that's a drifting kind of quality to it. Sometimes that drifting has a kind of a non-directed feeling. It's kind of floaty. Sometimes that experience is more like a charge out of the present moment. The mind picks up on some, some thought and just runs with it. Active thinking, active reflection, a lot of charge in, in the content of the thinking. Sometimes the mind isn't so much thinking, but is just kind of pulled into a storm of emotional turmoil. Can include thinking, but doesn't necessarily have a clear thinking to it. Sometimes that wandering can be kind of calm, actually. That's an interesting flavor. But all of these flavors, when we call it wandering mind, they have the flavor, they they have in common that they're a state of low or non-mindfulness. And so really what we're exploring when we explore the wandering mind is we're exploring mindfulness. We're exploring the comings and goings of mindfulness. This is a useful exploration. We can't make ourselves, I think Sally said this the other day, we can't make ourselves come out of the the wandering. We can't make it stop. When When we're not mindful, we can't make mindfulness come back. It will come back. It will spontaneously come back. It will re-arise at some point due to causes and conditions, but we can't make it come back. But we can notice that moment when the mind mind wakes up in, into, wakes up again. When mindfulness returns, what we often call the wandering mind is mindfulness returning and noticing that Mindfulness wasn't there a few moments ago. And this is, a, this is actually one of the, the things that we can be curious about actually in that moment. We can be curious about what is the experience of becoming mindful. Curious about the experience of mindfulness itself in that moment. There's so much we can learn by exploring this phenomenon. And without question, I'm pretty sure, I wouldn't say 100% sure, but pretty sure that every single one of us 
deals with this phenomenon regularly. So it's a pattern, it's a habit that we all share. And it can be really useful to explore patterns and habits that happen a lot. And boy, wandering mind happens a lot. So having some curiosity about it, rather than a sense of this is a problem, I need to get rid of it. Curiosity about it helps the mind to begin to understand the causes and conditions that lead to the mind wandering, the supports for uh, remaining present. And there's other things that we can learn. I mean, in seeing the habit of the wandering mind, you know, what, what one of the things that we, we often kind of get familiar with are the kind of main or key habits of mind that tend to pull us out of the present moment. This is often, we, we often talk about this, you know, Jack Cornfield talks about in, in exploring the, the thinking mind, you know, kind of get familiar with your top three tunes, you know, what are your top three favorite kinds of thoughts to have and, and, and see if you can find a way to relate to those in a light way. So we do begin to learn what are our familiar go-to strategies, what are our familiar strategies for navigating life. When we sit down to meditate, we may think we're going to stay still and present, but our, our habits, our conditioning, have other ideas. And so what we see when we see these patterns unfolding, all of these patterns that we explore in our, our practice. We see how the mind wanders. We see the kinds of emotions that arise frequently. We are seeing our conditioning unfolding. We are seeing how we've been, how our mind has been shaped. And so we're learning about our minds. One of the key gifts of exploring the wandering mind is that we really get to uh, if we're open to it, we, we really get to taste and get the sense of how out of control the mind is. That we don't have so much say over when the mind wanders. Habits, conditioning will take us out of the present moment. Mindfulness will re-arise in some moment, but we didn't do that one either. We didn't have control over that either. Seeing the comings and goings of mindfulness or watching the mind wander and come back is a teaching for us on the teaching of not-self. We sit down and we plan to stay present. We have that idea or hope, perhaps, to be present in the moment. A few minutes later, we're often thought, who did that? Most likely you didn't actively decide to do that. It was habits, it was conditioning that led to that. And then mindfulness returns. You know, who did that? Again, not self. 
there's so much evidence for this teacher, this, this kind of um, understanding of not-self. But we tend to view our experience from the perspective of self. I'm going to be meditating. My mind wandered. I woke up again. I did that. I'm so good. I, I came back. We tend to have that perspective of self. And when we're viewing experience from that perspective, it's very hard to see evidence for not-self. It's like that. that's a kind of a delusion, the, 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 the view or the belief or the kind of framing or the orientation or the filter that we're seeing experience through the sense of self kind of almost prevents us from taking in the evidence for not-self. So every time the mind wanders, when that mindfulness returns, not-self. Not-self. The other day, I think Bob mentioned the Anatalakana Sutta, the discourse on not-self, the characteristic of not-self. And I'd like to share a little section of that sutta to you. He mentioned, Bob mentioned the, um, the aspect of the uncontrollability of our minds. And this is the part I'm pointing to here, that we don't have complete control over our minds. And he pointed to this with, with respect to various areas or aspects of our experience with respect to the body. He said the body's not under our control. If it were under our control, we'd be able to say, may it be like this, may it not be like that. And he, he explored this with several different areas of experience. And, and one of those areas uh, he called mental formations or volitional formations. Volitional formations are a huge category of experiences that include thoughts, emotions, as, uh, as well as wholesome mind states. Concentration is a volitional formation. Mindfulness is a volitional formation. And so there's a a little piece in here that's repeated for each of these different areas of experience. And he, uh, I'll read the one for volitional formations, but I'm going to replace volitional formations with mindfulness, since mindfulness is a volitional formation. Mindfulness is not self. If mindfulness were the self, it would not lead to affliction it would be possible to say with regard to mindfulness, let my mindfulness be thus. Let my mindfulness not be thus. Wouldn't that be nice? Anybody able to do that all the time? But precisely because mindfulness is not self, it lends itself to affliction. It is not possible to say, let my mindfulness be thus. Now, that, that maybe sounds hopeless, you know, it's like, if I don't have control over mindfulness, what, what, what do I do? How do I do anything? Conditions will support the arising of mindfulness. And one of the conditions that supports the arising of mindfulness is recognizing mindfulness. It's sometimes said that the proximate cause for mindfulness is mindfulness. 
the teaching or the hearing about mindfulness being helpful is a condition that supports our interest in what is mindfulness. We start to get familiar with the experience of mindfulness. That familiarity creates the conditions for more mindfulness. It's all unfolding lawfully. You are fortunate enough to have heard about these teachings and been curious enough. Curiosity was aroused through hearing that and the practice began. It's all not self. You're fortunate to be on this not self path. We're all fortunate to have heard the Dharma and had the conditions that inspired us to engage. So noticing this wandering mind, for me, this, uh, this recognition of, yeah, it's not, my, it's not my fault that the mind wandered. This is conditions. And yet we take responsibility for our minds curiosity about this experience when mindfulness returns. This is a a key way where mindfulness can be cultivated, recognizing that, noticing the return of mindfulness. This is one of the key areas of exploring the wandering mind. We really can only explore the edges of the wandering mind, I'd say. The going, uh, coming out of it, We can notice the moment when mindfulness returns. That's like the edge of the wandering mind. We can see something about that moment. We can also see something about the going out of mindfulness. That one is a little more uh, subtle, but it is possible. And so I'll talk about both sides, both sides of the edges of the wandering mind. The easiest place to begin this exploration is that moment of remembering, the moment when mindfulness returns. We often have a conflicted relationship with this moment, uh, a, a sense that I should have been doing it better. And again, that's picking up the belief of I had control. And so for me, that understanding of well, this is not self. It's coming and going. It's not self. That, can, that helped to uh, frame the, uh, the experience of the return of mindfulness with a little bit more allowing and acceptance. So it's not my fault that it happened, but here I am. And the, the mindfulness is back. Awareness of that is supportive. That moment when mindfulness returns, it is actually an amazing moment. It's, um, you know, it's, it's got a quality that helps us begin to recognize what it's like to be mindful. If you're curious about it, as opposed to beating yourself up about it. If you're beating yourself up about it, you miss the opportunity actually to get curious about mindfulness itself in that moment. 
when mindfulness re-arises. If you're just curious about that experience of mindfulness re-arising, there's, there's kind of like a, um, a lingering memory, I'd say, almost. It's like the, the mindfulness has re-arisen and there's the, the knowing now I'm present. This, this experience is, I'm, I'm here. We, we have that understanding. But there's also kind of a lingering memory of what it was like a few moments before when the mindfulness was not here. It's kind of like maybe there's a sense of the fuzz of being lost or the wrapped upness of the mind being caught in something. And the mind is kind of emerging from that. And so there's a, there's a difference. There's like a, a difference between in the quality of the mind, between what it was like a few moments ago and what it's like now. And it's not like you have to really look back and think about it. It's almost right there in the moment of mindfulness returning. There's a sense of the difference. This is what it's like now with mindfulness present. So we get a taste or the flavor of the experience of mindfulness there what it's like to be aware. And that, as I said a few moments ago, mindfulness is the proximate cause for mindfulness. And when we um, become familiar with the experience of mindfulness, it supports mindfulness in the future. It also, as we begin to get interested or curious about that moment of mindfulness returning, There was one point in my practice where I was just like so curious about how how early can I notice that the mindfulness has returned. Sometimes it feels like the mind is kind of coming out of the mud or coming out of like waking up slowly or something. And it's a little ways into the waking up. And then we realize that we've kind of been aware, we've kind of been mindful for the previous moments, but weren't really aware that we were mindful. So there kind of can be a slow emergence from that. But at one point I got really curious about how soon can I know that mindfulness has has returned? And the more we get curious about that moment, it kind of attunes us. It begins to attune us to that experience of mindfulness returning. The more we see it happening all the time, everywhere, not just in the sitting practice, but when we're walking across the street or picking up a glass or putting our hands in dishwater, suddenly there's this, here's mindfulness again. Often we're not so attuned to that moment. We're more attuned to what we are aware of and what we have to do about it. But if we can be curious about the quality of awareness itself, that begins to kind of... um, highlight or help the mind to attune or become sensitive to that returning of mindfulness. And so that it creates more of a, uh, the possibility for continuity to, to happen. We get more of these moments of mindfulness returning. Another great thing about that moment of mindfulness returning like that is like it was effortless. You did not do that moment of mindfulness. It was completely effortless mindfulness. And that's a pointer to the possibility of what it's like to be present 
without working so hard. So all of these things can be, uh, we can be interested in them as the mindfulness returns. And it's also useful not only to look at the mindfulness returning, but to be curious about what's going on in the mind. So there's the mindfulness returning, and then there's something that mindfulness is kind of attuned to. If the mind has wandered based on like thoughts or emotions, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's wandered out of the present moment based on some kind of reactivity, you know, thoughts, when the mind wanders like that, you know, the thoughts have a very potent conditioning power on the mind. And so while the mind is wandering, especially when we're not aware of it, you know, the, if, if, uh, if some kind of a hindrance or some kind of reactivity has taken hold of the mind and we've wandered out of the present moment with that reactivity, then without the mindfulness, that has been shaping our experience. And when the mindfulness returns, that experience is what we're waking up into, what has been shaped by that wandering. And so that curiosity, it's like rather than in the moment that mindfulness returns thinking, okay, I was using the breath as an anchor, let me come back to the breath as soon as possible. It can sometimes be really useful to be curious about what has the mind woken up into. If you just try to jump right back to the breath, then if there has been some kind of reactivity that has been shaped while the mind was wandering, that reactivity may get applied to how you're attending to the breath if you're not consciously aware of it. So it's really useful to take a few moments when the mindfulness returns. Notice that it has returned. Notice that experience. Oh, mindful again. And what's here? I sometimes use the question for myself, because sometimes it feels like when the mind wanders into whatever, you know, it's, it's wandering into some whole world. Sometimes I've had the experience of waking up and it's like, wow, it's like this whole world or bubble had been created of experience. And it's like, where am I? So sometimes I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I've used this analogy of like, well, you know, what planet am I on when the mindfulness returns? What is this place that I'm returning to? And, and just have some curiosity about that. Again, no judgment about it but just curiosity, what planet am I on? What has been the effect? The mind has been wandering. What has been the effect of that wandering on the present moment experience? Now you might think that, you know, often we would see, and we sometimes do get to see, you know, greed, aversion, delusion, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, that has been constructed while the mind was wandering. But the great thing about this particular curiosity of what what planet am I on when the mindfulness returns is that the more we practice, 
the more experienced we are with the meditation, the more the, the more we settle into a retreat. Sometimes we can find that when the mind wandered, it actually didn't wander into a kind of a directed thought or or kind of a, a, a some kind of reactivity. That sometimes our minds will wander into calm. We lose mindfulness wandering into calm. And when we come back, especially if we're not judging ourselves for having been lost, when we when the mindfulness returns, we may, what planet am I waking up on? Sometimes it's planet calm. Sometimes there's more calmness, more ease after a wander than before. When I discovered that, that was a great little carrot to being curious about what planet I was on when the mind returned from wandering. Because way more often than I would have expected, the mind did wander into more relaxation, more ease. It was almost like, it's almost like when the mind wandered, it's like I was working really hard before the mind wandered. You know, I was like, you know, I'm going to be present. I'm going to stay here, stay here. And the mind, the mind is going, yeah, you're working too hard. I'll show you how to relax. Let's relax. And it just does it for me. You know, it just relaxed it for me. And then the mindfulness returns. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a lot simpler, a lot more ease, a lot more relaxation. So sometimes when we return from a wander, it's not necessarily that the mind has gone off. What, what has been shaped might be calm, might be ease or peace. So that's a little bit about the wandering out or coming back side of, of the, the wandering mind. The other side, the flip side, is getting curious about how and where we lose mindfulness. Now, this this kind of investigation, um, it it's really light or soft kind of investigation, almost by definition. You know, if you're trying to say, "Where's the mind wandering? Where's the mind wandering? Where's you know, how's it going to wander?" It's like you're kind of you're kind of like you know jumping on top of it and and it's it, it's uh you're you're the activity of that doing trying to see the mind wander is either going to keep it from wandering or it's going to obscure what happens as the mind wanders so um this is a really light kind of interest or exploration Often what, what we, um, we, we do is like, what, what happens when the mindfulness returns? That sometimes is a clue to the kinds of things our mind wanders in. So when we wake up, what the planet we wake up on, that's sometimes a clue. That experience that we're having when mindfulness returns, that's sometimes a clue to the state of mind or the place or the experience that the mind gets lost in. And so that kind of curiosity around what planet am I waking up on is a, is a real support for kind of attuning to the experiences or states of mind 
that the mind can get hooked to and, and kind of get lost in. So that, that practice or that curiosity about what the mind is waking up into will support this exploration around where does the mind get lost. As we see over and over again, wow, you know, the mind gets lost in this particular state. You know, maybe it gets lost in a frustration or it gets lost in boredom. And you wake up with that like sense of boredom. And you, you, that, that waking up in that boredom, checking into the planet of boredom, you get familiar with that experience of planet boredom. Then you might start to see planet boredom making itself before the mind wanders. And then you can be present with that. There can be some choice points at that point. You know, you could. And this I did for quite a while, actually. At one point, I noticed kind of, I was paying attention to the breath, and I noticed the kind of mind mind kind of like going out, leaving the breath, like flattening or kind of spreading or something like that. It, the, the attention got drawn to something, not the breath. And at that point, you know, I was attending to the breath, but... Um, and so when I noticed that kind of shift, that the mind beginning to let go of the breath, I'd bring the mind back to the breath. That's a choice. You can do that. It's possible. That's, that's, so when you notice that kind of shift or a pull to something, sometimes we can um, just come back to the primary object. But at some point, it happened enough, this experience of the, the mind kind of drifting out from the breath. Yeah, this was in one particular sitting. I'd seen it many times and I came back and I came back and I came back. And at some point, as the, the mind started to, to kind of shift away from the breath again, there was this recognition, well, I'm mindful. I'm mindful of this. The mind letting go of the breath. Let's see where it wants to go. See what happens. Let the mind follow that experience. And that uh, opened the mind into it like a, a kind of a vast space of experience that I had not explicitly or consciously seen before. And it was startling. It actually kind of shocked me out of it. I was like, what was that? So the, the kind of familiarizing yourself with the construction of the, uh, the planet, you, you could make the choice to return to something, or you could just be curious, like, oh, planet boredom is arising. What's this about? What's that experience? So this, this exploration around where do we lose awareness um, can begin a little bit with kind of a almost an inventory you know what are the times of your day you could start perhaps sometimes we lose awareness in particular activities or particular places or things that we're doing that might be a kind of a, a curiosity what 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 activities do i do that i tend to lose mindfulness with you know well when i go into the kitchen to make my dinner that's where i lose mindfulness or when I take my walk for exercise, that's when I lose mindfulness. I'm kind of curious about it, not judging yourself for it, but just like, well, let's, let's kind of see if we can recognize those areas where there's those 
sinkholes or rabbit holes where mindfulness gets lost. When you begin to notice those areas, then again, I want to encourage curiosity. I found that curiosity about this is, is the most powerful tool, not using that recognition of, oh, I get my mind wanders when I go into the kitchen. So I'm going to hold my mind present when I go into the kitchen. I'm going to stay mindful for every single thing I do. Again, that's kind of an efforting way to do it. And you can do that. You can kind of recognize, well, this is an area I tend to get lost, so I'm going to, I'm going to work hard. But often that, that hard work or that kind of trying to stay present then obscures what is happening to make the mindfulness go away. And that's kind of the, the, the invitation that I'm offering here. Curiosity about what has the mind wander. So um, as you, you know, walk into the kitchen, it's like, or, you know, as you're, you're, you're going into the activity, well, you're mindful, perhaps. It's like, okay, so I'm mindful now. I know I tend to get lost in the kitchen. Let's see if I can notice what kind of hooks the mind. What is it that kind of hooks the mind? Maybe it's the first time when something happens that you need to do quickly. Or maybe it's just a habit of how you've engaged in the, in the kitchen. Maybe that's been a time that you've let your mind just drift. So maybe it's just habit. Just being curious about what happens there. Rather than it being a kind of a, a doing, trying to force yourself to stay mindful. Be curious about what is it that hooks the mind? We also might lose awareness, you know, in particular habits of mind. Boredom, depression, planning, remembering, anger. So the, those can, can manifest as thoughts, as thinking, or just the kind of the, the energetic experience. Sometimes we can get lost in the energetic experience as well as thoughts. But often with habitual states of mind, we get lost with the thought, with the content of the thought. And the content of the thought has a stickiness to it. You know, it, it, it kind of pulls us into um, believing that I need to think about things from that perspective of the content. So recognizing, you know, so again, the, the, the recognizing what we wake up into, what particular flavors of mind, boredom or fantasizing or judging or remembering, what we wake up into might give us a clue as to what, where the mind wandered. And that familiarity with that experience as the mindfulness returns, that planet may help us to remember, help us to notice the mind going into that, going into that state. Another... Um, Another key way that mind, the mind wanders or the mindfulness will get hooked into something is when there's a shift of attention. 
So you're paying attention to the breath. That's where your conscious intention is to notice the breath. And some sound arises. And maybe you kind of sort of notice the sound, but you're trying to stay with the breath, so you don't really acknowledge the sound. It's possible that that kind of shift of attention to the sound has more momentum or more kind of energy to it than we're acknowledging or giving it credit for. And then the mind will wander. So that the, 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 the attention shifting and our not consciously noticing that the attention has shifted, I would say that's one of the key reasons why the mind wanders. The attention shifts and we haven't noticed it. So this is, a, this is something that we can start to get curious about what is it like for the attention to shift. We can get familiar with that experience of the attention shifting. And um, as we get familiar with what that's like for the attention to shift, then it's almost like that experience, again, highlights itself for us. It will help us to recognize when the attention shifts. So in the, the instructions for... Um, the kind of teaching, the practice we're exploring this week with the use of an anchor. This is a part of the instruction, actually. We stay with the anchor, but if the attention is drawn to something else, we acknowledge it. We kind of get curious about that shift. We, we, we recognize, oh, the attention has shifted. Let me take in what it shifted to, notice it, and then you know, we can have a choice once we've noticed that shift of attention we may, if, it's, if it feels compelling, we may stay with it for a while. If it's not so compelling, we can just return to the anchor. So that noticing of the shift of attention begins to help the mind to kind of stay present. There's another way the attention shifts that um, I experienced this morning in the guided meditation, and I hadn't quite articulated it in this way before. I've noticed this experience a lot, but um, um, hadn't quite been able to articulate what was going on. And, and this morning, that, that the articulation of it appeared, which is, was lovely, so now I can share it with you. Um, it's a kind of a shift of attention, but you know, often we think of a shift of attention being from looking at one thing to looking at another thing. So we're paying attention to the breath, and then there's a sound. And the attention shifts from breath, sensation, to sound and hearing. There's another way that attentional shift can happen um, that maybe is more what was happening when I described that experience of paying attention to the breath and then the mind expanding, you know, the, the, the mind leaving the breath and then wandering into this expansive space. Um, there's a way of shift from where the attention is focused 
attending to something in particular, the breath, a sound, a body sensation. And sometimes, because attention is not just one-dimensional, you know, attention can have that focus quality to it, but attention can also be wide-angle. Attention can be broad and vast and take in diffuseness. It can take in wide experience. That shift from attending to something to opening out. It's a shift of attention. It's an attentional shift, a different quality to to attending to a different kind of object, essentially. A shift from noticing something very precise to being aware of something very expansive. That's also uh, uh, the, the feeling of that shift. At this point, that's a very familiar experience for me. And it's one of the main ways I, I allow my mind to settle. It's like feeling into being with something and then feeling that shift in that expansiveness. Present for that. Allowing the mindfulness to track into that expanding experience. It feels like a dropping, a spreading, a, a, a kind of an expanding of the, of the mindfulness. It also feels remarkably like Falling asleep has a very similar quality. And so if you're not kind of curious about this experience of this, it's like a drop and spread almost. That's, that's what it is for me. It, it may have a different flavors for different ones of you. This dropping and spreading experience. The, the attention shifting from focus to broad. You might think that that you're falling asleep or that your mind is getting sleepy or drifty or daydreamy. But if you can track it into that, it's like, oh, expansive mind is happening. Calm mind. Diffuse experience is happening. So that shift, there can be a shift from focused attention to broad attention. That can be another way the mind wanders, you know, when you shift from that focus to something diffuse. And, and if we're not kind of familiar with the experience or if we're not giving credit to the experience of diffuseness and think it's just spacing out, you know, then um, we, we may, you know, have an agenda to or, or, or thought that, well, that's not mindfulness. I'm not used to that. But there's so many different flavors of what it's like when mindfulness is present. So, you know, kind of the curiosity of what is the experience and am I aware? So that curiosity about is there awareness here? We, we often base whether we think we're aware or not on what kinds of objects we are experiencing. And when objects of different flavors happen we might think when when objects especially these diffuse objects spaciousness that kind of object um, we may not have familiarity with being with them and then we'll just go lost into that spaciousness that's kind of how the mind can wander into calm too sometimes, wander into spaciousness. It's very pleasant. You can end up sometimes just 
Have you ever noticed that, you know, sometimes wandering mind where it's just like, yeah, just like really pleasant, but not very mindful. That's just not, that's, that's not that, that it's a, an unwholesome state. It's that the mindfulness hasn't quite, that the, that the, the mind hasn't quite attuned to the experience of what it's like to actually be mindful in that state. It's possible. It's possible. Ooh, I have several pieces I want to talk about. Um, only a few minutes left. I'll, I'll go into a little more depth with these diffuse states um, because this is such a, such a um, powerful place of practice. And, and for myself, this learning how to meet these diffuse states was one of the ways my practice really did begin to, um, to deepen into new terrain. So there's a whole bunch of states of mind that we would that we might habitually get lost in sleepiness, spacing out, zoning out, these kind of states that we, you know, think of as non-mindful. But these states are not inherently non-mindful. They are kind of more habitually non-mindful. So that, that experience of spacing out, for instance. Um, I'll give an example. I'll tell a story from my practice. Um, this is probably the first time I really clearly saw this. So it's, I've told this story before, but it's, you know, it's so clear in my mind what was going on. And um, I was having breakfast and um, kept noticing while I was eating breakfast that, the, that I would space out. You know, and, and I was trying to be mindful while eating my breakfast, so I bring my attention back to the breakfast, lifting the fork, you know, lifting the, the food to my mouth and chewing, and I noticed the mind would space out again. And so I, you know, just kind of kept bringing it back. But at some point, I was kind of like, okay, well, let's see if I can notice this mind moving away from this focus attention to this spacing out. And it was possible. So I had had enough practice with the, the kind of noticing diffuse states by that point. And so um, kind of like, okay, instead of trying to stay with the breakfast eating, you're like, okay, okay, so here's the spacing out. And it kind of felt like the mind hovered somewhere up into the right of my head somewhere. There's like zizzing. And as I hung out there, I was like, I noticed I could be mindful of it. There was a kind of, so several things I noticed about this. The mindfulness of that state let me recognize several things. One, there was a quality of pleasantness. There was a withdrawal from sense experience. And there was a deep resting that felt like it was happening. That rest was the clue, actually. You know, it's like, oh. The mind is so tired. It wants to rest. Well, okay, let me let it rest here. I'll be with it while it rests. And after about 30 seconds of resting, mindfully resting in that state, what I had been calling spacing out, after about 30 seconds of resting with that, 
letting the mind rest. It was like the fog cleared, the zzz quality just dissipated. And then there was a clarity of being with the body, the, the sense experience came back clearly. And in as the sense experience came back clearly, it was like, oh, the mind needed to take its rest and it was going to take it whether I was on board or not. And so that, you know, that kind of seeing or recognizing that the mindfulness could follow that. There's so many states like this that we think we can't be mindful in. Fogginess, dullness, daydreaming, drifting, uh, spaciness. All of these have this quality of being diffuse. And so the, the kind of awareness that we cultivate in being with that is this broad awareness rather than the like, okay, I know what, I know what this experience is. There's this sensation and that uh, sound or that experience. There's a whole host of experience that's much uh, less precise and the mind can know it with this broader awareness. So it's really worth exploring the edges of these states that we tend to think are non-mindful. We tend to think they're inherently non-mindful. Curiosity. Can I be with drowsiness? Can I be with spaciness? It's possible, actually. It's possible. And the last piece I'll mention I don't have a lot of time for this, so I'll just kind of drop it in there with a little bit of encouragement to be curious. Sometimes we might start losing awareness um, as the practice deepens. When the mind suddenly seems less stable, after a period of pretty st- a pretty stable mind that's rather than you know thinking what did i do wrong it often is an indication of something is shifting in the practice there's something new happening and there's the, the mind the mindfulness is like trying to find its way to meet a new experience. And you're a little bit lagging behind, perhaps. You know, your, history, your, your agenda for what you're paying attention to may be lagging behind what the mindfulness is, is settling towards. So it is possible after a period of time, if you've, after the mind has been stable, um, if the mindfulness starts really wandering, sometimes we can, we, it can be kind of like, uh, there's different reasons why that can happen. And one of the reasons why that can happen is that um, something old or deep, kind of hidden, a kind of a, a, an old pattern or habit is finally, it's like celebrating that there's enough space to be seen. And it's like, oh, finally, there's room for me. Okay. <sighs> 
I'm going to explode. And, and that can happen. That can definitely be one of the things that happens. But at the same time, it's like, well, okay, that pattern had to wait until there was a little more stability to actually come out. So some patience with that and just practicing with that as we practice with difficulty. But there's also the possibility of the, as I just described, of the mind kind of orienting towards more quiet or more subtlety. At one point in, um, when I was practicing at Shui Umin with Saito Utejaniya in Burma, I'd had a period of time where there'd been pretty consistent mindfulness, a lot of continuity of mindfulness. There'd been some kind of intentionality to that mindfulness. Like, yep. Kind of the just gentle reminding, this patient kind of gentle persistence of reminding myself to be aware. But there'd been, it was pretty stable and it was pretty easeful. And then suddenly I start noticing, wow, the mind is all over the place. And so that kind of shift, when there has been some stability, and then suddenly the mind is all over the place, that's an interesting point. It's like when that happens, pay attention. There's something, maybe something new happening. And so when I began looking at that, and by this point, it was kind of like, oh, okay, the mind is is wandering. Let's just see. Let's see what's going on. And so um, rather than trying to track what I was aware of. It was more like a settling back in. It's like, well, what is the mind naturally aware of right now? What's it already aware of? My not, you know, so, so the slight agenda of staying present had kept the mind at a certain place, a certain level or a certain kind of, it's like, yep, seeing, hearing, body sensations, vibratory energy, hearing, all of that the attention was tracking. But then it's kind of like the agenda of tracking that uh, was keeping the mind at a certain level and mindfulness was was like shifting or the, the kind of the mindfulness and wisdom were shifting to a subtler level of experience. And that's what I noticed when I took away the agenda for, for the kind of like kinds of things I'm familiar with being aware of. To just like, well, what is already here? And sometimes in that opening to what's already here, it may not be obvious. It may not be clear what's here. If you can just kind of hang in that space, that diffuseness, that non-specificness, maybe the mind will begin to recognize new kinds of experiences. And that's what happened in, in this case when I kind of opened to what's the mind naturally aware of? It was a subtler kind of experience that the mind was naturally aware of. And if I had been trying to, you know, um, effort my way through it, you know, okay, I'm going to keep myself being mindful here. It would have stayed at that same kind of level of the things I'm already familiar with. So there's often these shifts in practice where the mindfulness will begin to orient to experiences, towards states that we don't, that we're not so familiar with. And that's a prime place where the mind can wander. 
So that kind of curiosity of, well, what's here? And it can, it can be a little uncomfortable not to be familiar with our experience. So there, it, it takes some trust. It, like that time that I, I described the, you know, well, let's see what happens if I follow the mind where it wanders. And it went to this vast space I'd never experienced before. It's like, kind of shocked me out of it. But the next times it happened, I was more ready, more available to meet a new kind of experience. And so I hope this is mostly an encouragement to be curious about the wandering mind. Let go of judging it and what does it have to teach you? There's a lot in what I described that is a, um, it may sound like I'm encouraging you to do something, but really what I'm encouraging is curiosity and a very receptive mindfulness to see what the edges of the wandering mind are like in any given situation. Oh, the mind has wandered. Let's see what's here. It's not so much a doing, it's more of a receiving. And curiosity, I'd say, is is our greatest support for this. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.